To celebrate International Women's Day, we at MEND, Muslim Engagement and Development, are extremely pleased to be launching this exciting new series of podcasts called Muslimer Voices. This podcast is dedicated to all women, especially Muslim women. Join me, Amira Rolls, for each episode that will feature the inspiring reflections and life experiences of real British Muslim women living in today's contemporary society. Our first guest is a remarkable and truly inspirational Muslimer. Dr. Aisha Raza has a doctorate in neuroscience and teaches medical students at UCL and at the British College of Osteopathic Medicine. If that wasn't enough, she also has been elected as a Labour councillor for Greenford Green in the London Borough of Ealing since May 2014 and hopes to one day become an MP. She's very passionate about encouraging and ensuring that more women, particularly from minority backgrounds, pursue careers in both science and politics. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Aisha Reza. Welcome to Muslim Voices podcast. Wa alaikum salam. How did you become involved in such diverse careers? Um, I think it's just one thing led to another. Um, you don't really, s- I wasn't one of those people who planned everything out or mapped everything out and knew exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, opportunities sort of come to you and it's about saying yes, yes. or no. Or And in my case, I just sort of ended up saying yes to a lot of things and then having to juggle them all. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah. So could you tell us a little bit more about how you got into the science field? Um, I always knew I wanted to go into science, um, mainly because at school uh, it was some of my favourite subjects because they had practicals and you could get into the lab and get involved. So um, that that side of thing really appealed to me. Um, So obviously in our cultures everybody is very much sort of pushed towards the medicine side of things. So... I decided I wasn't going to go into medicine, but I wanted to go into something research related. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did my degree in anatomy and developmental biology, which is a little bit like um, doing the preclinical bit of the medicine. Yeah. Um, and so then I went into various labs and worked in different sort of areas of um, anatomy or, or physiology mm-hmm. that was going on um, at the university and uh, then I got offered a, a place in a neuroscience lab and after working there for a while um, they offered me a PhD and I sort of went well I haven't got any other bright ideas <laughs> so I'll just do it yeah fantastic so, yeah there's more one thing led to another yeah again opportunities presenting yes, exactly. themselves and, and you making the most of it yeah 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 and now you're teaching at UCL? I do, yes. I teach med- medical students at UCL. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's more the practical side of things. Mm-hmm. So teaching them anatomy. Yeah. Um, so practically sort of how our bodies sort of fit together and how yeah. they work, um, which I think is sort of the initial foundation of um, them building their medical careers yeah. on. So I enjoy it, which is why I do it. Fantastic. So now neuroscience would be enough for some people, but uh, clearly for you it wasn't. <laughs> and you managed to go into politics as well. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Um, it's sort of related, but mm-hmm. not completely. Um, I've always been, I mean, we come from a family which is quite politically aware. So things mm-hmm. like, you know, everybody sees things on the news and you'd have um, political um, viewpoints on what was going on. Um, but uh, I wasn't actually uh, involved myself first sort of actually for my own elections or anything like that yeah. um, until about 2010 and at that point um, 
I was kind of uh, at a loose end. Things were a little bit, I had a bit more time on my hands. And um, then I went up to see a friend of mine who was working for um, Birmingham City Council. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, you know, come up here and see what we're doing. Um, we've got a very diverse community up here. And, um, you know, I'd be interested to see what, what you have to say about how the dynamics of the community is working. Mm-hmm. So I just went along to sort of just see how they did things. And to be perfectly honest, I had no idea about canvassing or how the technicalities of how people do pollings or anything like yeah. this. But um, I saw firsthand how people actually go and talk to people on their doorsteps and mm-hmm. have those conversations where you know, find out what's important to people. Yeah. And um, what I found was that if there is an uh, Asian w- woman on their doorstep, other Asian women inside the houses were more likely to have that conversation with you. Yeah, they could relate to you more. started talking yeah. to them um, on their doors about things that were important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, interestingly, a lot of women would turn around and say things like, well, well, you know, my husband decides who we're going to vote for, or we don't really have a vote, do we? And it was actually quite shocking how little information on politics women had mm-hmm. um, or how they felt it wasn't for them mm-hmm. um, it wasn't our job as women to get involved mm-hmm. um, so the more conversations we had the more we found out that actually you know they're the ones who are doing most of the caring yeah. um, for the elderly also for children more involved with the school interface um, so many levels of our community women are actually doing the doing yeah So why aren't they speaking up and why aren't they getting involved? So that for me was quite interesting, but it was a bit of a sort of side project. And I just sort of went along with my friend and and, um, saw how they were doing things up there. Um, Huge eye opener. And I went up a couple of times after that to help them in their by-elections and sort of of started off a bit like, I guess, um, as an interpreter. Okay. But um, it kind of gathered a bit more... Um, pace and eventually after a couple of elections down um, they kind of got the bug and it was one of those things where um, you sort of feel that you could you need to do more and yeah. get more voices from our community heard in that way so absolutely delighted when um, Labour took over um, of course I'm a Labour councillor so I'd have to um, own up to being partisan on that um, but uh, when Labour took over Birmingham City Council and we for the f- actually for the first time had so many um, women who were elected and women from different backgrounds that were elected um, which was fantastic yeah. we know we had all sorts of people who were now able to speak up for their communities yeah. in the council chamber so seeing that in action was actually really quite an eye-opener for me and to see how, how it was happening um, and could be applied elsewhere. Mm. So um, coming back to Ealing, it was a bit more kind of like, I wonder what's happening here. Yeah. And um, when we look at our council makeup, there was very few women um, and very even less sort of women from a Muslim background or an Asian background um, that were coming forward. Um, and and so it became almost kind of like a, a got involved a- again quite accidentally when I came down here to because there was a campaign to save our hospitals, okay. and so that fitted in very well with my sort of interest in the teaching of medicine, to making yeah. sure that the NHS was sort of well stocked with good um, staff to mm-hmm. run all our different departments and things, and to see Ealing Hospital sort of being whittled down yeah. um, was quite shocking. So I got involved with that um, pr- 
pretty much at around about the same time where they were starting up a campaign. Um, and then that sort of tied in with a lot of the things that were happening at the town hall because um, Ealing Council got on board with that yeah. um, campaign to save our hospitals. And now, um, alhamdulillah, we have a fully functioning A&E, which was actually, you know, going to be whittled down to being a walk-in centre. So it's things like sort of local campaigns that were going to affect all of us, um, as well as kind of getting, if you like, you know, just being a mouthpiece about getting that voice heard. Yeah. So connecting up those two things kind of felt quite natural. Yeah. So people go, oh, we don't do politics or don't talk politics or politics is all around us. Um, politics is in our families, obviously. We have large families and everybody can connect with that. We have politics in our communities. We have politics from you know, global parts of the world that we come to, to. And, you know, people disagree, people agree. But that thing about politics is not for us um, is not true. It's, it's, it's for everybody and particularly for women. And I think what you show is that you've seen a problem that existed and you knew that to address that you needed to be involved in the process mm. and I think that's really important. Yeah I think the, the thing is the getting involved. Yeah. A lot of people kind of shy away from getting their hands dirty because they think politics is the sort of filthy thing to do and it was so dirty and everybody you know so you get used and abused and yes I know I'm not saying it's not a nasty business it is we only have to look at how um, our women parliamentarians are treated um, you know since getting elected um, I've seen a not so pleasant side of um, how and it's not necessarily just from the public we often get it from within our parties we often get it from within our council chamber from people that we work with so um, that thing, that breaking down those barriers, won't happen if we don't get involved. Exactly, absolutely. Have you ever encountered discrimination or prejudice in your life? Yes, um, you know, as a, as a obviously Asian person, mm -hmm. um, as a woman, mm -hmm. a lot of those things um, you encounter prejudice from an early age. Um, you know, growing up in Greenford, we had um, a lot of the at that time we had skinheads who used to hang around our street and quite a lot of the prejudice that was going on was quite um, unfounded in that it was we were the other they didn't understand different communities that were coming into London at that time um, so yeah we had you know fireworks put in through the letterbox we had our wall pull, pushed over and all sorts of things that had happened but that was more kind of a non-understanding of other cultures other people um, but then having said that we lived in that street for a jolly long time and then yeah. by the you know by the time we, we moved house everybody was kind of um, like one big family we all played in the streets together everybody had a bit better understanding of each other yeah. um, and I think um, since the sort of 80s things have kind of improved so much um, with our community cohesion that people are understanding each other so much more everybody has you know somebody who's a Muslim friend or a neighbor yeah. um, who they can kind of connect with mm -hmm. um, so it's those connections that kind of make that go away yeah. and so um, on a on a sort of purely community level um, that kind of discrimination that's why it's so important for Muslim families to be outward looking mm -hmm. and to kind of connect with their neighbors to talk to people at school gates and to make sure that you know we're nothing to be feared after 9-11 particularly um, we've had quite a bad image problem thanks to the media 
um, so much of the things that we hear about and so many of the stereotypes that we see for Muslim people um, is, is just coming massively from all sides in the media as written about. I mean, you, you just, it is ridiculous at how skewed the the stories and how how it's reported. Um, so obviously that filters down to in in the communities people believe what they hear out there or it's a drip drip feed almost mm. that, that that thing becomes part of their their understanding of what Islam is Absolutely. so we're up against something quite big yeah. um, if we're going to try and keep that community cohesion thing going yeah. and that was even before we've hit um, social media because mm-hmm. once you start tackling social media it's a whole new uh, thing of sort of keyboard warriors and all kinds of things yeah. going on in that. So discrimination from that, particularly as a politician, we find that, well, I do, that that is possibly one of the biggest things that I'm up against, yeah. is that anything that you put on social media is suddenly sort of uh, set upon mm-hmm. by all these people who are out there, nameless, faceless people, um, who are out there um, picking apart what you did, um, what, what you did years and years ago, um, and then, obviously, if you're a Muslim, then therefore you must be an anti-Semite. So that, for me, has been one of my biggest barriers, is that actually, um, as soon as I was uh, selected as a candidate, a lot of the um, Muslim councillors that I knew warned me and said, well, now you need to watch what you, what, what you do or say or everything, and um, you know maybe even go through your online social media accounts to make sure that um, things that you might have said in the past might be misconstrued, might be taken out of context. So um, this thing is a real um, problem, a threat for Mm -hmm. anybody who's uh, a Muslim in politics. Um, And sure enough, you know, literally two weeks later, um, I was being called up by the press about, you know, how do you answer to being an anti-Semite for X, Y, or Z reasons. Um, so it's, it's, it is very murky, it is very hard to navigate and um, I can fully understand why some people um, walk away because you often get people who um, might want to engage but it's this kind of thing that puts them off. It's like a higher level of scrutiny yes. than yes. the non-Muslim candidates. Very much so, right. yeah. So, I mean, not only are you held up to a higher standard because you're a woman, because you're Asian, because you're, you know, not white... Um, there's so many levels of um, higher scrutiny that you're mm. up against but particularly at the at the moment this is such a sort of hot um, media frenzy about it that um, th- that equation of Muslim equals anti-Semite is a myth mm-hmm. it doesn't exist and it seems to be whatever you do to counter that or to um, remedy that it pops up again and again and again. And, and it's that thing, that, that trial by Twitter, which you just cannot um, contradict or, mm-hmm. or combat yeah. um, effectively. So that, for me, has been my biggest challenge at the moment, is to kind of continue um, representing my area and representing my community um, without being sort of that ang- angle being thrown at me every single time that you come close to doing something um, or coming up to a selection, an election, or anything uh, like that, um, you you sort of have to face thing discrimination like that. Um, that can come from inside the party. That can come from outside the party. It can come from anywhere. 
Um, and uh, you know I've faced it in every one of those guises and no matter how much you know I I feel I have a healthy relationship with the Jewish community um, I sit on Sacra I've done numerous amounts of training um, about diversity and equality and making sure I've been uh, an advocate and a, a person who bangs a drum for community cohesion for as long as I can remember it's something that was inbuilt in, in who I am but however I'm constantly having to justify everything that I do and say through that lens um, yes it can get very tiring but actually if it means that people who are offended are actually you know it makes them feel um, that I've done something about it and that I'm, I, I'm quite happy to discuss it with them as to what it was and how it was and, and very keen to make sure that people don't feel that they um, are being attacked uh, I would hate to I mean that's the bit that really hurts or, or affects me is the fact that um, somebody somewhere thinks that I'm out to offend them um, because that's not why you go into politics and certainly not why I did. So what do you owe the success that you've achieved to? Um, I think it's that being raised to never take no for an answer. So um, I think uh, a lot of people feel, particularly uh, being a woman, being a Muslim woman, yeah, we're supposed to be oppressed and be very timid and not really go out there. And it's a stereotype, yeah. Yes, so, you know, playing into our own stereotype. Yeah. So um, I have, you know, been very grateful for my parents to, to have raised me to not take that as, as anything to uh, be a barrier. Um, anything is possible and that you should actually ask questions and you should be that awkward person who goes out there and, and uh, you know, rattles those bars because you can't get anything done if you don't speak up and if you don't jump in and have a go. What challenges are you facing in your workplace? Um, so currently science is massively facing this challenge of not having much in the way of funding. Um, I mean, I think we only just got our science minister named last week so that just goes to show that people, if you ask the general public how many people would know the name of the science minister, hardly any. So that's where the, on a government level um, science is placed. Yet um, right now we're facing this uh, coronavirus yeah. and um, people are screaming from the rafters about, you know, oh, what are the scientists doing about it? But wouldn't it have been nice if we'd invested in science so that we could have been ahead of the curve? and that we could have seen things coming. Um, if you don't put anything out, you know, into this, this thing called science, why, why should anything come out of it? And it's um, actually heartbreaking to see so many bright people leave the UK because they can't um, be at the cutting edge of the scientific field that they work in. Um, and that, that thing, we need to get that back. So we definitely do need to be pushing for more um, girls in particular going into STEM subjects um, for our children to be far more science literate. Um, there's a lot of um, emphasis on particular things but not emphasis on, on science um, at school level. So um, I'm a, a school governor in a primary school and also in a secondary school that specialises in science. Um, I'm incredibly interested in how we spark the imagination of all our young people get them through into all those different fields of science where we do need people working. Um, and then 
post-Brexit, I mean, science is in a serious state in this country where we used to have that kind of open dialogue with um, our near nearest neighbours. Um, things like the Erasmus programme, which let people sort of have collaborations and move around freely. Um, so I really hope that those things are maintained post, you know, in this new deal that we're waiting for. Um, but science in this country really has been sort of whittled down. And um, if, uh, with the universities now being sort of commoditized, um, so you have to pay for your education, um, it's a bit like fashion where things which people want to do flourish and the sort of less cool subjects fall by the wayside. Um, that was never the case before. We had the full complement of all the science subjects being taught here. So that worries me, is that we've now become very sort of, as soon as you put a price tag on something, we don't get that movement um, of knowledge um, that we should do. So, um, yeah, interesting time. So at the moment, um, I think both politics and science are going through a bit of a rocky patch. What general advice would you give all women, and specifically Muslim women? Um, speak up. Um, definitely, whenever anything is happening around you, you need to engage with your um, surroundings, with your family, with your community. Um, and if you don't speak up, nobody knows your viewpoint. Nobody knows what, how to fix it um, for you. And that goes doubly or sort of tenfold for Muslim women because we already have to fight the stereotype of being submissive and uh, demure and not having a voice. So uh, you're, you're fighting that extra bit harder um, against those stereotypes that are sort of burdened on top of us. Um, so definitely speak up, get involved are the two main things that I would say to women. And then you also get our sisters who wear the hijab, um, who are instantly identifiable as Muslim women. So for them, they um, are held at a higher standard to um, other women. Suddenly we become ambassadors for our faith, uh, we're speaking up for our communities. Um, so suddenly there is that, um, we're in the um, sight of, of everybody far more because you're so identifiable. So those things are even more uh, required from sisters who wear the hijab is that you should definitely be speaking up and getting involved because that I mean I think we've just got our first MP um, who wears a hijab and that's amazing but actually is it because it's taken this long to get somebody in there who has a, who wears a hijab um, I think if we were to count Muslim women MPs we'll probably do it on our fingers there's not that many when you think about how many women are out there that need uh, representation um, in our council chamber I think we're literally down to about two so um, you know two out of 69 is is very few so um, I think it might be three or four maybe um, I haven't counted the other side so I ought to really do my homework a bit better on that one. but um, as councillors we do really need to be um, doing better because we're the ones who are in the community day in and day out so we definitely need more women of all backgrounds um, to come forward because one out of three councillors is not enough. So speak up and get involved. Absolutely. I mean, if, even if it's something like getting into um, school governing bodies, um, those are things that are... Yes, it's, it's a bit boring to turn up to meetings you know, and, and get involved, but if we don't go, 
we don't have a voice. So it's actually quite embarrassing when you sit in um, the religious education committee when you know there aren't any voices from Muslim women. You know that we have vacancies for Muslims on the on the committee, and it's it's actually quite bad for us as a community to not have filled those with people who can speak. So um, get involved at all levels, uh, whether it's even getting involved at your, at your local mosque or at your little community centre, um, get involved at schools, uh, anywhere where people kind of congregate. There's no reason why we can't get involved in our local um, churches. They have fundraisings, they have all sorts of other things done for charity. We need to get involved in all of it. So when I'm out and about in my community, I'll be there going to um, church events and going to you know, temple events. We need more of that interfaith dialogue and that can only happen if we get involved. Absolutely. What political issues matter the most to you and why? Hmm. Uh, well, obviously being involved with the NHS, that is a, um, something that's very close to my heart and I need to make sure that that's taken care of. And politically, it seems to be used as a political football quite a lot. Um, I was quite disappointed in the the last election that I think um, Labour could have done more with the messaging on that because we are literally seeing um, our health service being taken away before our eyes are being dismantled. Um, so that is something I'm completely passionate about and I really would... Um, not be able to see that uh, being taken apart on my watch. So um, that is my number one thing. Um, but I would say if we're talking locally, if we're talking more regionally, so if we're talking about London and about Ealing, um, being so diverse, we really do need to work on community cohesion um, and our young people because they are the future. So if we're not going to teach them how to live with each other and understand each other um, and, and be part of this um, society, that it's all going to fall apart at the seams. And we're seeing a bit of that with um, youth service and things that have been eroded. And what we're getting now is that the increase in knife crime is kind of like a symptom of the fact that there are young people who don't understand each other very well. And um, that, that's something that we need to work really hard with. Um, to keep that community cohesion, we have to work with our young people like way harder than we did before. It's not okay to just think that it's the school or it's the police's fault or it's anyone else's fault. We need to be track of uh, what our young people are doing. So um, I think in mosques and in our families and in our communities, um, that's something that really needs our attention at the moment. How have you managed to maintain a good work-life balance? Um, some would say I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's really important to give yourself time. And um, I, I always aspire to be that woman who has the amazing diary capabilities to make sure that everything is diarised as soon as it comes in. Um, but I'm, I've yet to master that particular skill. Um, but I think... Uh, just managing your time management is is key um, I'm one of those people who just sort of uh, doesn't look too far into my diary for like the whole week um, I would do it weekly whereas some people are more about sort of stretching their diary for the whole year and knowing exactly where they were doing things um, but like I said I aspire to be one of those who who has a, a solid um, sorted out diary life um, it's so so important to give yourself time out is that 
you can't just keep going. Um, there will be times when you're you're tired or you're you know unwell or you just need to give yourself some space. There's things that happen in families that you need to you know bereavements. Um, there's sort of uh, people if they're not well and that you're doing get extra caring duties or anything like that. So family always comes first, and that is one of those things where we're as women uh, told repeatedly that you can't do both and that you can't work and and have a family at the same time it's not easy but um, it is doable so um, if anything is worth having um, it doesn't just fall into your lap and it's not easy so um, I think women have been blessed with this extra um, oomph or energy or whatever you want to call it um, that um, we somehow manage to balance all these different bits um, and, and multitask in a way that um, uh, I don't think men can manage. Um, I'm going to be sexist on that. Um, there's, there's bits of brain that, that obviously works a bit differently in women and, and um, we just manage to do multitasking on a level that manages to make that work-life balance work. So I think we're special and I think we can do it and uh, you need to stay positive. Um, there will be times when you think, why did I do that? I really should have said no. Um, I really don't want to, you know, I'm tired and I don't want to go back out for another meeting or I don't want to do this. But you've got to keep the goal in front of you to say, well, actually, by going to this meeting, you'll be able to achieve X, Y or Z result and kind of keep your eyes on the prize a bit. Um, and again, get your family to help. Um, once you start doing things, you will find people will come to help you. So in election times, we don't know whether we're coming or going or meals, who's making what, where, whether it's takeaway or whatever. But it's quite chaotic and you find that families rally round. People will come round and sort out stuff and stick things in your fridge and make sure that there's that things there for you um, you know family members will come around and say oh I've got all these extra minutes on my phone do you want me to phone people around and ask them whether they've been out to vote yet and um, so it's things like that that we we are a kind of nucleus to change and if you don't sort of step up to that challenge then you can kind of sit by and passively watch things go by and see it on the news and think oh well that's really terrible and or you can get up and put up a fight so right now, if there's climate emergency, which is the big thing that we're hearing a lot about, you can go out there and do something about it. Or we can just sit by and go, oh, well, you know, that was our planet and now it's like really in a bad way. Um, so until you take responsibility for these things and, and step up to that challenge. Um, and women have that in them uh, in a way that I don't think anybody else does. So we're far stronger than we know and we can do it. What or who has inspired you in life? Um, that's a very big question. And um, I don't think it's a single, uh, single one thing that has contributed to any inspiration. I think there are so many absolutely fantastic women around you every single day of your life. Um, obviously, our mothers are the first inspiration that we have. We see them getting on with their um, caring duties when we're little and um, mothers are the ones that you go to 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 sort of when anything awful has happened or anything nice has happened they're the ones that we we will always resort to to going to talk to first so um, 
teachers, some fantastic teachers who have always been there for me. I've always gone back to them years later and always said to them, you know, oh, this has happened. And they'd be like, oh, no, no, you want to, you know, do it like this or maybe try that. So throughout my um, academic career, I've been really blessed with a lot of really brilliant teachers. Um, and so I would strongly recommend that teaching is a, an amazing career to go into and to actually be shaping the minds of, of young people so that when they are the future, they are going to be the future uh, um, society that we live in, they're going to be the ones that look after us. So if we sort of set up a good generation of, of young people who can take on those caring duties from us, brilliant. Because I, I, I'm banking on it. Jazakallah <laughs> <laughs> khair, Dr. Aisha Reza, for sharing your inspirational thoughts with us. Inshallah, we wish you the best success in all aspects of your life. I hope all our listeners have enjoyed the podcast and will join us again when we listen to another of our Muslimer voices. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow at Mend Community and at Muslimer Voices on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Muslima Voices. <laughs>